0: Insurance and Injury Law Show, number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots of stuff to get through today. We'll talk about the Injury Calculator, uh, MyDisabilityQuestions.com, FightForMyLTD.com. There's a lot of information that you need and you want. We'll get to all that over the course of the next hour. First of all, we always start off uh, with some cases that uh, you've been working on, some interesting Interesting things with the other uh, week that was. What's going on in your end?
1: Well, let's start off, John, with some questions that were posted to one of our websites, MindDisabilityQuestions.com, mm-hmm. where people can just go and for free ask questions about their long-term disability case and get answers from me directly, again, for free. And you can be an- anonymous. And in fact, if you have a question about your long-term disability claim or a loved ones or friends, chances are somebody's already asked that question, go to that website and you can actually search by keyword. So let's go into it. So here's a question that was posted uh, just a few days ago. I have been on disability for over 10 years and have a brain injury. I was asked by my insurance company to do two tests and they said by the results of the tests that I can go back to work. I have never had rehab, never met with their doctor and the tests were a booklet and a computer test. Not one test was done for the symptoms that I have from the injury. I would like to know what can be done. So let's answer that question. Let's dissect this. Uh, this is this is an outlier type of a situation. Most times when I have people who come to me who say, I have been uh I'm going to be assessed by an insurance doctor. What can I do about that? Can I refuse? I tell them, no, you can't refuse. You have to go through the test. Uh, you know, of course the insurance company can't abuse that um uh I'm gonna call it a privilege, but really the insurance policy gives them the power to have you assessed by one of their doctors. But of course, again, in my experience, as soon as they have you assessed by one of their doctors, chances are that doctor is going to conclude that you're not as disabled as your doctors are saying that you are. And in fact, you should be able to go back to work. So that usually gives the insurance company the pretext to then cut you off disability. And of course, then people come to us. We fight the insurance company and get them to pay. But what's happening here, and I call this an outlier for a very simple reason, because you're dealing with someone with a brain injury. So it's one of the most severe injuries you can have. I don't have details about the brain injury, but clearly it's severe. He's been on disability for 10 years. And then this insurance company gets him to do these two tests, not even with a doctor. In other words, some kind of a test or tests that are then interpreted by these doctors or doctor from the insurance company. So he's asking, what can I do about that? Well, first of all, the insurance company hasn't cut him off at this point. That said, they are saying as a result of reading the, the uh, um, results of the test, that he can go back to work. So they are now positioning themselves to cut him off at some point in the future. That can be a week from now, a month from now, six months from now, I don't know. But he's done the right thing in asking the question. And what I would do in this situation is I would obviously raise the alarm bells. I would go to the doctors who've been treating this individual. I would ask them to review the test results that the insurance company has. Of course, the insurance company has to give them to this individual. uh, And I would have this person's doctors, treating doctors, write to the insurance company and explain why it is that this person is still unable to go back to work, that nothing really has changed uh, in terms of his condition for the past 10 years. And here's the other thing that I would do. Uh, I would put the insurance company's feet to the fire here. I have no idea why they chose to administer a test as opposed to having him actually assessed by a neuropsychiatrist or a neuropsychologist or a neurologist or someone else who deals with brain injuries. Something seems very suspicious to me. And that's the lesson out there for people. If something seems odd in terms of how the insurance company is adjudicating your claim, how the adjuster is dealing with your long-term disability claim if they're telling you, we think you can go back to work on the basis of these test results or on the basis of what our doctors are saying, don't take that at face value. Don't simply assume that you have no recourse. You do have recourse. In fact, you have a lot more power than you think you do in challenging those false assertions. And of course, I'm talking about situations where your own doctors are saying, there is no way that this person can go back to work. So this person did the right thing I'm going to get in touch with this person, we're going to talk off air, we're going to go through the medical documents, through the test results, and we're going to fight the insurance company. If the insurance company here thinks that after 10 years of disability, they can simply cut them off with nothing, nothing to show for, that's not going to happen. As soon as that happens, we are going to start a legal claim, we're going to bring the insurance company to the table, and they're going to have to pay. Why are they going to have to pay? Because they have to under the policy, because this person's doctors say and insist that this person is still disabled. There's no reason why this insurance company is doing what it's doing, the way that it's doing it. And oftentimes, unfortunately, people just give up, they don't fight back, and they leave thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table that we help them then recover.
0: It's amazing that that you know. I guess that's the reason why people just don't realize there's there's a way out of this and there's recourse because it seems absolutely silly for you know someone who's had a treating doctor for ten years saying you can't work and one simple assessment, either in person or otherwise, by an insurance doctor holds any credence. Like it's a, where do you where do you guys even get off thinking that this is a reason to put somebody you know off off of coverage? But it works, right, John? You're right. It, works. it
1: absolutely works, and it works for a very simple reason because there is an intimidation factor. Right? right, You are a person who's under disability. You're dealing with psychiatric issues, physical issues, a combination of the two. You don't have the time, the resources, the inclination, just you know, the drive to be able to mm-hmm. take on this insurance company. That's what they're banking on. Right. That, it's a gamble on their end, and it's a gamble that's working successfully every single day. And remember, John, I'm also talking as someone who used to defend insurance companies in the past. Mm-hmm. Right, They used to work for insurance companies. I am telling you in the vast majority of these cases, as soon as you stand up for your rights and you have a lawyer that specializes and deals with disability claims, they either back off the insurance company or at some point later, when there is a defense lawyer involved, they come to the table in order to try and reach a settlement. That's the reality.
0: Lots more on the way. We'll get to your emails as well. The number 1-888-990-9646. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to reach out through email. We'll get to some of those during the show and lots more on the way. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Insurance and Injury Law, show the number any time to get a hold of Savan and his crew, one 888 990 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I uh, want to get back to some more of the week that was before we get into your emails. Uh, what else you got going on, Savan?
1: Well, here's another question that was just posted on mindisabilityquestions.com. This person writes, I am on long-term disability and have been for a couple of years. Can manual life force me to work? even when my doctor and and, and psychologists say that they would never approve me going back. So, you know, this is, again, another question that I get quite often. Can the insurance company force me to go back to work? Well, no one can force you to go back to work. What I think the person is asking is, can the insurance company cut me off on the basis of me not wanting or not being able to return back to work? And the answer is yes. They can cut you off for any reason. They can cut you off because... You know, you have black hair or because you have a beard or whatever. It doesn't mean that there is a legitimate basis for that cutoff, and we can challenge that cutoff, and that's what we do on a daily basis. But, you know, the fact that this person sort of referenced a couple of years, I was on LTD for a couple of years. John, you know as well as I do that in long-term disability cases, there is a difference between being on LTD for the first two years and then being on LTD beyond that two-year mark. And the difference is this. To qualify for long-term disability, for the first two years, the question becomes, or the question is, can you do your own job? Can you do your own job? Very simple question. There are different ways to assess that, but that's the question. Beyond the two-year mark, it's can you do any job for which you're suited for by training, education, or experience? So that's not to say that if you're an orthopedic surgeon, they're going to ask you now to go and work at Tim Hortons. Nothing wrong with working at Tim Hortons, but that's not really what you're educated for. But maybe you can't do surgery, but perhaps you can teach orthopedics, right? So then they can ask you to do that. So the fact that this person is asking, saying, I was on LTD for a couple of years, can the insurance company force me back even when my doctor and psychologist say I can't? Well, no, the insurance company can't do that, but presumably what they're doing here is they're assessing him as being able to do some other job for which he's suited for. Well, that becomes a question that we have to deal with. We have to look at, well, what is his doctor saying exactly? Why is the doctor saying that he cannot go back to any occupation at this point? And as long as the doctor has good foundation, has a legitimate basis for concluding that his patient, this person, is unable to go to any occupation, to work in any occupation at this point in time, the insurance company should accept that. But again, what do we see? The insurance company comes back saying, no, we're going to cut you off. And again, it's a calculated maneuver, right? right? They're assuming that the majority of people out there who have not posted this question, simply take it at face value and assume that they have no recourse. You're going to have some people who are going to try and challenge that decision, not legally, but they're going to try and file an appeal, an internal appeal with the insurance company. Right, John? Because every time you get a letter saying, we're going to cut you off or we're denying your claim, by the way, at the bottom of that letter, there is an invitation to appeal that decision. And of course, that appeal is not a legal appeal. It's not a legal process you're initiating that puts the insurance company's feet to the fire. It's you essentially re-asking the insurance company, the same people who cut you off the first time or denied you the first time, to simply reconsider their decision. And the vast majority of cases that I've seen, the answer is still no, except that now you are several months down the road, perhaps even a year or two down the road. You have to be very careful of that. So if you're in that situation, you've been on LTD for a couple of years, or you're gonna be hitting the two-year mark soon, The insurance company may be rumbling. They may be saying, you know, we want you to go back to work, try to go back to work. We may cut you off if you don't play ball. Meanwhile, your doctors are saying, no, you're not ready yet. Give me a call. Let me give you the advice you need to understand how to deal with your insurance adjuster to protect yourself in the event that they cut you off. It's so, so crucial, John, to have that information and not simply you know, take what the insurance company is saying at face value.
0: And you've mentioned so many times before, and I know James has when he's on the show, that when they, you know, they send you these these uh, these cutoffs, and they ask you, you know, you can appeal if you want, you can appeal again, you can appeal again. They're just dragging that out. And if it goes over the two year mark from the time you were cut off, not from the time you appealed, it doesn't reset the clock. Then after two years, all of a sudden you're out of luck, right? And
1: that's exactly true. You know, we have a lot of people who are listening to the show, or uh, you know, somebody told them about the show, and they're now listening to to past episodes. And they'll email me and they'll call me and they'll say, Sivan, you know, I was cut off or denied seven years ago. Well, I can't help you with that. There is a statute of limitation here in Ontario. And, uh, you know, if you're beyond that statute of limitation, if you've appealed their decision over and over and over to the point where you've uh, missed the two-year mark, the chances of you being able to launch a successful legal claim is almost nil. There are some exceptions, but those are very, very rare. You do not want to go anywhere near that two-year mark once you go beyond that 2 year mark you've just left the, you know the insurance company holding a large bag of money that had your name on it
0: We'll take a, a short break and right back into your emails. That uh, address, by the way, is help at the insurancelawyer.ca, one 990 9646 And I know uh, Savannah's made uh, reference to it twice so far. We'll get into more details about mydisabilityquestions.com and the injury calculator as well. Very important to we'll do that uh, after a short break and return with the, uh, the emails as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, it's right here, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Insurance and Injury Law Show. That number, 1 888 990 9646. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That is the address used by George. We'll get to it right now. His email says, uh, Savannah, I was cut off my disability payments last month and I appealed it. That was denied. Big shock as well. Uh, I'm in the high-tech industry and was making over $150,000 before a back injury that led me to becoming addicted to painkillers. How do I deal with the insurance company now? All my doctors say that I still need more time to recover. I can't go back to work. I've been on LTD for just over a year.
1: Well, George, one of the things I need to understand, obviously, is why were you cut off? Uh, your disability? Was it because of the um, the fact that the disability is now the addiction? Is it because they think that you're no longer disabled? Uh, did they have you seen by one of their doctors? I need to understand more. And, and John, that's one of the first things I ask people when they call me and contact me is, can I see the denial letter? And if you don't have a denial letter, what did the insurance adjuster tell you was the basis for them cutting you off or denying your claim? You know, but the answer to George is that, you know, how do you deal with the insurance company now? Well, there's only one way in my mind of dealing with an insurance company once you've been unjustly denied your claim or cut off disability, and that is to hit them with a legal claim. Yep. People don't understand the power of our legal system. Insurance companies, you know, these, these entities have billions and dollars of, of dollars in reserves. They have thousands, thousands of employees You know, you think that they're invulnerable, but that's not the case. It's not. These insurance companies are there to make money. As soon as we hit them with a legal claim, they now have to put a reserve aside, not just a reserve to settle your claim, i.e. an actual bag of money to actually pay you at the end, but they now have to pay their lawyers. And even if you're dealing with an in-house lawyer, a lawyer that works as an employee for that company, that. Person still gets a salary. They still have an assistant, an office. There's still overhead, right? If they're not handling your claim, they're handling somebody else's claim. So as soon as we hit them with a legal claim, we have now started to bleed them money, and that's the only way to deal with insurance companies. And you know, the only caveat here that I want to make uh, you know clear is this: personal injury lawyers, disability lawyers, don't have the best name out there, and that's because there's a lot of people, unfortunately, in my industry who start legal claims for frivolous uh, uh, cases in frivolous right. situations. And we're very, very careful when we advise a client that they have uh, legal recourse, that we can do something for them, that we truly believe that we can help these people. I'm not saying that it has to be 100% against the insurance company. I'm not saying we only take cases where we know 100% of the insurance company screwed up. Right. You know, sometimes insurance companies has, have, have valid reasons for cutting someone off, but sometimes it's not that clear. And, you know, the vast majority of cases out there, it's, they're in that gray area. The insurance company, they have some argument as to why they cut off or denied the person of disability. But then my client has a reason, a, you know, a, a good reason for why it is that they should be paid that money. Right. It, the law is just not that clear. Our job as advocates, as lawyers, is to maximize the compensation that our clients deserve. And, you know, I tell my clients, each and every one of them, that if at the end of the day we are in a room and there is a settlement that is reached which by the way happens in virtually almost every case that we start not in every case but in the vast majority of them if at the end of the day the insurance company sends a check that has zeros behind it a 1 a 2 or 3 and 4 and whatever with zeros behind it it's because we forced them to do that it's not because they just decided out of their goodness of their hearts right. to simply send you a check money they understand that if that legal claim went all the way in front of a judge, there is a risk that they could get hit with a much larger award. So that is the process. That's what we're doing. And that's different, George, than you appealing the decision internally within the insurance company. And, you know, people out there, I understand, are saying, well, I'd like to appeal first, take my chances, and then see. And if, if, in fact, I, you know, don't get approved or they deny my appeal, if that happens, then I'll come to you. Well, What you've done there is, first of all, you've delayed the process. Number two, you may have done something in that appeal that would have prejudiced you down the road. I don't know what kind of letters or reports you got from your doctors to support your appeal, but you've got to be very careful in how you frame your appeal. And number three, which I think is most important, is, you know, this is a psychological war that I see the insurance company waging on individuals. People are simply tired By the time you finish with an appeal or a second appeal or a third appeal, you're exhausted. You don't want to deal with us anymore. You're just saying "The hell with it. Let the insurance company keep the money. Well, it's not that simple. That money, we're talking about potentially tens of thousands of dollars. Listen, not a week goes by in my office without us either being at a mediation or close to a mediation date where our clients stand to gain tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars that the insurance company has kept from them until we got involved. That's what people need to understand, right? We're not just telling you to do it for the sake of doing it. We're telling you, you have certain rights, we can help you enforce those rights against the insurance company. And these insurance companies pay millions of claims on a monthly basis across the province because they are forced to by lawyers like myself and like James.
0: Give me some details before we break on the injury calculator. Love this tool. Crucial when you're uh, doing this work, right?
1: Yeah, especially now in the summer, people get injured. Uh, you know, if you're in a car accident or a slip and fall or you're at the cottage and something happens, you get injured. You want to know, you know, does it make sense for me to start a legal claim for compensation? What am I looking at? You know, what's the dollar value worth right. of my case? Well, this this legal tool, injurycalculator.ca, allows you to get an idea of what the pain and suffering component of your claim is could be. Mm-hmm. So if you broke your ankle or tore your shoulder or, or got a concussion because of an injury, somebody, you know, someone caused that, uh, then, then you know, you want to know, what, you know, what, what am I going to get for that ankle injury? Yeah. And, and, you know, that calculator basically has a database of cases from across Canada, cases similar to yours, people who have had similar injuries, who've gone all the way to trial. And judges who have said, I award, you know, in this case, in that particular case, I I award $30,000 for this person's ankle. Or for that hip fracture, you know, I I order $120,000 in compensation. So what the calculator does is it allows you literally in 10 or 20 seconds of you inputting some key pieces of information about your injury to tell you what is that range. What's that dollar value range for your pain and suffering you could be looking at? But remember, John, it's just for pain and suffering, right? It's not for other types of Uh, compensation like income loss if you can't work because of the injury, uh, special expenses if you need rehab and you know...
0: That's too specific, right? That's
1: very specific. We would need to discuss it and that's why when you get that range of pain and suffering at the end, right, after 10 seconds of using this tool, you get that little range at the end of how much money you can get for pain and suffering, you can click submit if you want further consultation specific to your case. And again, that costs nothing. So that puts you in touch with us, with my team, we have a conversation, we tell you what we think, And then you make a decision. You're not obligated to sign anything. You don't have to pay anything for any of this. It's literally free information that we give out.
0: Injurycalculator.ca is what it is. We'll go back to your emails. We'll talk about uh, physical versus psychological and emotional uh, personal injury. After a short break, the number 1-888-990-9646 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero is the number to get a hold of Savan and his crew. Anytime the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We just talked about it, but uh, give it a spin, take it out. And if you uh, need it for real, well, it's always there. If not, you can just go through the uh, the calculator and see what comes out the, uh, the other end. We're talking about the injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. Anonymous, don't have to put your name or nothing in there. Can't pay for it if you wanted to. It's absolutely free. So,, uh, so, give that a shot. So, physical injuries compared with psychological or even emotional ones in the context of personal injury claims versus LTD claims. Give me some details. What's the difference?
1: That's It's a very interesting question because, you know, through all the years I've been practicing, again, both on the defense side, on behalf of insurance companies, but also for individuals who've been injured and are disabled, what I found, uh, which I can't really reconcile completely, is this. In personal injury matters, such as car accidents, uh, slip and falls, things like that, insurance companies sort of put more weight on physical type of injuries. You know, you broke your ankle, you broke your knee, you need a knee replacement. Things that we can see and touch, right? X-rays, MRIs, we want evidence, objective evidence. That's the quote, by the way, that insurance companies use, quote, objective, end quote. Now, if you have uh, an injury in a slip and fall, for example, and you broke your knee, I, I can tell you within 30 seconds of speaking to someone who has experienced that injury and just asking them a few more questions, approximately what it is that they could be looking at in terms of compensation at the end of the day when it comes time to settle with the insurance company. When it comes to long-term disability, because of, the, of that change in definition um, in terms of the criteria of total disability, remember the first two years, it's can you do your own job? Beyond that two-year mark, can you do any job for which you're suited for? For some reason, uh, the uh, long-term disability claims, uh, they pay out more, in other words, the settlement values are higher when you're dealing with psychological or emotional, psychiatric types of disabilities, anxiety, uh, OCD, um, major depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, things like that. Right. And and it, that's not to say that, you know, they don't see physical injuries as legitimate injuries. It, 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 it's that oftentimes to get beyond that two-year mark for the insurance company to pay out the disability payments, you need some component of the disability to be uh, psychological. Now, listen, if you're paralyzed from the neck down, you know, clearly you're going to have psychological issues. But the main, you know, reason of why you're disabled, obviously, is because of the paralysis. Right. Uh, and that would be the same with personal injury, with, with um, uh, car accidents, slip and falls, et cetera. But, you know, that's something that I found very interesting in personal injury matters, car accidents, slip and falls, et cetera. There's more emphasis being placed on it by insurance companies in terms of the higher value claims on uh, the, the, the physical type of injuries. And, and again, I don't want to paint all these cases with the same brush. I've had cases that were almost purely psychological in the personal injury world, you know, that that settled for and had values of a million dollars, a bit less than that, a bit more than that. And on the LT- in the LTD world, you know, you have cases, obviously, where uh, the compensation that's uh, that settled for at the end is extremely high, even with just physical injuries. Now, what can the person who's listening take from all of this? Uh, nothing in terms of, you know, is it better to have uh, physical or psychological injuries. The point is this. Whenever you have a lawyer that's representing you, either in the personal injury context or in the long-term disability context, really the goal is for you, as the person pursuing compensation, to maximize your compensation. Yeah. And if your lawyer doesn't understand how the system is built and how to, I'm not going to say play the system, but how to play the players in the system, insurance companies, well, then that lawyer is not going to maximize the compensation that you can hope to, to get at the end. And and this is what this quote-unquote game is about. It's about us extracting as much as possible from the insurance company to compensate our clients. You know, for people out there who think that when I use the word compensation, it's it's you know it's a dirty word. It's not. We're talking about money that is legitimately owed to individuals who are injured or are disabled. Money that the insurance companies are withholding unjustly. And the only reason, again, why these insurance company end up uh, companies end up. Coming to the table and paying is because we force them to. So, very very important. Even if you're suffering from a physical injury, of, you know, oftentimes there is a psychological overlay. And many times when we're dealing with psychological types of impairments and disabilities, in many instances, those uh, have developed as results of of physical ailments and, and physical disabilities that gave rise to the psychological. So you need to understand how you know the two components work together, and and again how to maximize the compensation. Or the individual, whether you're dealing with a car accident or a long term disability claim.
0: Well, that, I mean, and that, that speaks to when you say maximize the compensation. That's why it's so important. And I guess not everybody realizes it, but your firm or you specifically, you work for insurance companies. So you know both sides of the game. You're not one sided. You know how it's played already,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I can't, you know, for me, I can only tell you that it's worked extremely well. James also, by the way, used to work for insurance companies. Right. Many of our lawyers have worked for insurance companies in the past. That's not to say that if you haven't worked for insurance companies, you can't deal with them, you can't defeat them, you know, when, when push comes to shove, but it does give you a perspective. It gives you an appreciation for how internally they make decisions. Let me give you an example, John. Yeah. When I used to uh, do defense work, we would often, as we do now, go to a mediation, which is, uh, which is an event where I come with my client, the insurance adjuster from the insurance company comes with the defense lawyer, And with the assistance of a mediator, a third party, we try and resolve the claim. There's negotiation to go back and forth, et cetera. Now, one of the things that used to really aggravate me and my client when I used to work for insurance companies is that, uh, you know, prior to mediation, we would have exchanged documents. Uh, As a defense lawyer, I would have asked the plaintiff lawyer to provide me his client's medical documents for the last few years. But one of the other things that the other lawyer would do is he would send in or she would send in reports from doctors that would try to persuade me and my insurance client to pay more money. Well, one of the things, one of the uh, um, uh, main mistakes or or frequent mistakes that I would see plaintiff lawyers do is they would serve critical reports the day of the mediation or a day prior to the mediations or two days prior to the mediations, thinking that somehow that would... Uh, pressure me and my client to pay more money. Well, they—that's a complete misunderstanding of how insurance companies operate. Uh, the, the The way they operate is is that you know you provide them with reports and documentation. The lawyer then reports on it to the adjuster. The adjuster may do their own report to the manager. You know, this goes up the chain of command, so to speak. Right. And then they get authorization for a certain amount of money to bring to the mediation to try and resolve the claim. Well, if the report you've just served on me and my client require me to go to my client, him to go to his manager, that person to go to their supervisor, if the whole process there takes a week or two weeks to do, and the result of that would be that we would bring $100,000 more to the table, what good does, is, you know, is that report if you've just served that on me a day before the mediation? There's not enough right. time. If anything, you've just torpedoed the entire mediation. So you know, how do I know all this? Because I was on the receiving end of these kinds of, of, right. of things. So very, very important to understand that you want a lawyer, not necessarily one that worked for insurance companies, although I think that's a plus, but you want a lawyer who understands the way insurance companies as bureaucratic entities operate. Again, the goal is to maximize the compensation your client will receive. And you can't do that unless you understand who your enemy is
0: one the number help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And if you haven't checked it out yet, injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component should be. The real number, very simple to use. Check it out as we take a short break. We'll get right back to your emails here. Uh, when we come back, right here, Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. Help at the insurance lawyer dot ca anytime you want to email Savan and his crew. Ask some questions. You could do it right there. Miriam is next up. She says, uh, "I was cut off long term disability, and I approached my union, who said that they don't have the expertise or obligation to help me, even though I am a unionized employee, and this has to do with my inability to work. What are my options?"
1: Well, Miriam, that's an excellent question, and this is very common, John, for me to see people who. uh uh, get cut off or, or denied LTD, and they're unionized, and they gravitate naturally towards their union for help. And the union says, I can't, we can't help you, or we can't help you. You got to be careful, even when they tell you they can help you, because they simply don't have the expertise in the area. Now, unlike in employment law cases that Lior talks about on the employment hour, uh, we actually can help the vast majority of unionized employees who have long-term disability disputes with their insurance companies. What we do though is we look at the collective agreement, and as long as the collective agreement does not spell out in detail uh, the LTD relationship, in other words, it doesn't specifically talk about all the details of LTD, doesn't talk about uh, you know, the qualifications or the criteria for getting LTD, yeah. doesn't talk about, you know, as long as, as we can argue that the collective agreement did not contemplate for the union to deal with the LTD dispute, we can step in and we can help. And frankly, insurance companies prefer it when the lawyers are actually dealing with them, outside lawyers as opposed to union lawyers who have no expertise in the area. So Miriam, this is not difficult to to deal with. All I need to see is the collective agreement. Uh, I'm assuming based on your union's response that it's exactly what I said, which is that uh, we can help you. Uh, the collective agreement probably in your case does not contemplate the union dealing with the LTD issue. And I would want to see the denial letter from the insurance company, and I would want to see your medical documents that support you being off work. Once I have those documents and we have a brief chat, I can tell you what your options are vis-a-vis the insurance company. Uh, union aside, we don't need the union for this. Uh, you know, We don't need the employer for this. All I need are the documentation that I've just outlined, and we can help you. So if you are a unionized employee, you know somebody who's unionized, they're having LTD issues, have them reach out to us or you reach out to us on their behalf, connect us, and we can help them.
0: Yeah, it's different than the world of employment law where they're Very. bound by the uh, the bargaining agreement. You guys can't help in this regard. Uh, the number one 9646 And again, help at lawyer.ca. You know, we spoke about CPP disability before, which is a government-run thing. So if, if you apply for it and get denied. Does that necessarily mean that your LTD insurer can deny you LTD claim as well?
1: No, but but remember, uh, to, 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 to qualify for CPP disability, you have to have a disability that's severe and prolonged. Those are the okay. two key words, and there's a way to define them. It's, I think it's on the uh, CPP disability website, the government website, and also there's case, case law that interprets those words. But many insurance companies will say, well, look, The government doesn't think you're disabled, so therefore we're going to cut you off. Well, no, you can't make that kind of an equivalency. It doesn't work. First of all, the test is different. Total disability under an LTD policy is different than the test of severe and prolonged. But even if they were identical, so what? Uh The fact that the government says you're not disabled doesn't mean you're not disabled. Right. Right, That's like saying, you know what, I'll tell you this, John, you have no idea how many times I've had situations, cases where my client was, in fact, approved for CPP disability, and the insurance company made the argument, well, we think the government got it wrong, or alternatively, the two tests are not identical. In other words, you can get approved for CPP disability, but you can also not get approved for LTD because the tests are different. So insurance companies will argue both sides, right? They're gonna try and and argue that you are not, in fact, disabled if you're not approved for CPPD, and then they'll try to argue that, oh, well, you're really not that disabled and the government got it wrong. If you do get approved, don't worry about it. If you're in a situation where you've been denied CPP disability and your long-term disability insurer is using that to either force you to go back to work, right, to, uh, they're they're saying they're gonna cut you off if you don't try, or if they've cut you off or told you they're going to cut you off, call us immediately. Okay? Don't wait until this, the, the checks stop coming because they will stop coming. Don't wait. Give us a call. Let us have that conversation. We can tell you within minutes. And again, it's free. John, I keep emphasizing that because people keep asking me when they call. And it's they're okay charging, to ask. Yeah. Do, are we going to charge? And you know, we have people that we spend literally hours going back and forth over the course of weeks and months helping them with their claims but we haven't really started representing them, we're just answering questions, right. and they insist on paying us, and we actually reject payment, which say, listen, until you sign a retainer agreement yeah. with us, n- not give us money, but just sign a retainer mm-hmm. agreement saying yeah. we'll represent you, we're not taking a dime, and frankly, if we can help you without you having to hire us, by all means we'll do it. I know that's counterintuitive, people are saying that makes absolutely no sense, that's how you make your living. Well, it does make sense, because as long as people know that we are here to give this information, they also know that when the time comes, when they, their loved ones, colleagues, friends, when they need someone there to fight for them against the insurance company, they will come to us. And we've seen this over the last decade, you know, as, as long as we've been, you know, we've been doing this over a decade. I mean, it's just worked.
0: Contact is easy as well, anytime, 1-888-990-9646. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get right back in your emails and more questions as we continue here. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto one 9646 help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. If you want to find out any time what a pain and suffering component of a claim should be, it's a calculation that has been made for you. All you have to do is click through uh, through a couple things, and in about 30 seconds you'll get an answer. At the bottom it is injurycalculator.ca. There is a contact button to get a hold of Savannah, and it's true at the bottom as well or just walk away anonymous with the uh, the information and you being the uh, the smarter ford at the end injurycalculator.ca blake writes in says my brother was in a, a motorcycle crash in january when another car ran a red light my brother was badly injured he got an l1 spine fracture and head injury along with quite a few other things the police told us that we should contact a lawyer we did but none of the lawyers we spoke with actually sat down with the whole family to discuss and explain what happens now legally they all just wanted my brother and his wife to sign documents and didn't really like that they cared much about a situation. They were uh, pretty cold. Uh, a bit more information for you. My brother's 42, works as a software engineer. He has uh, three kids under 10, and his wife is self-employed. Can you tell us a bit more about the process and what needs to be done?
1: Absolutely, Blake. Uh, and I'm very sorry that your brother and his family are going through this. I mean, an L1 spine fracture, a head injury, I mean, those are those are going to be very, uh, very difficult to get over. Uh, those are severe injuries, uh, likely permanent in terms of the impairments that he's going to suffer. And what we've de- we've dealt with a lot of of cases like that, not specific to the situation. Obviously, it's very uh, you know this is individual to Blake's brother, but you know very serious case. So you know l- l- let me let me give you sort of a brief um, outline, and that's not just for for your brother, but that's for anyone out there who's been in a car accident in Ontario. And the only caveat that I will give you before I explain this is that insurance legislation changes all the time and you have to make sure that your lawyer lawyers uh, are up to date on them because really it's, it's literally like that river that you never step into the same river twice. So here's what happens. You're in a car accident. You've been injured through no fault of your own. Somebody else caused the accident. There are two things immediately you have to think about from a legal standpoint. Number one, accident benefits. You uh, if If you're a passenger or you're a driver, the car you're in must have by law automobile insurance and every policy automobile policy in Ontario standard policy has accident benefits coverage. that means that it does not matter whether you're at fault or not at fault. They're also called no no fault benefits uh they 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 basically are triggered if you're injured as a result of that accident. So so John, for example, um, it's standard to receive income replacement benefits if you can't work up to $400 a week. There is a method of calculating that. Of course, if you buy optional benefits, higher insurance, then that benefit amount is higher. There's also medical rehabilitation benefits. If it's a fatality claim, there's going to be other benefits payable to the family, funeral expenses, et cetera. So there are certain benefits that you could be eligible for almost immediately after a car accident. You just have to apply for them and and know how to do that. The second prong of automobile claims in Ontario is called a tort claim. A tort claim essentially in simple words is a legal claim against whoever caused the accident. And essentially that's a lawsuit against that driver and their insurance company, their insurance policy then gets triggered. And so you're then dealing with that insurance company. And generally speaking, in many cases, that part of the claim is much larger. In fact, it many times dwarfs the accident benefits claim. Why? Because we're claiming for pain and suffering, future income losses, future medical expenses. There's a whole slew of compensation categories that we can go after that are simply not available through accident benefits. And again, how those two components, accident benefits and tort, um, how do they um, uh, connect with each other and, and you know, the, the the linkage between some of the benefits and what you have to do in one to affect the other. We can spend hours and hours and hours going over that. That's why it's absolutely crucial that whichever law office is assisting your brother, Blake, understands all the ins and outs and components of both accident benefits and tort claims. And it's really a shame, and John, I'm talking to you now, it's really a shame you have many lawyers out there who all they care about is just getting in front of this individual, uh, the family who have suffered greatly and are about to suffer a lot more over the long term, put papers in front of them, n- not, not show any empathy, and simply want them to sign on the dotted line. Now, that's not the way we operate. It's just not. It's not the humane way of doing things. It's, it, by the way, it's not the efficient way of doing things because I need my clients to understand every step of the process. I need them to understand because they have to give me instructions based on my recommendations to them. There are going to be a million different decisions that have to be made, and I am prepared to go through each one of the decision-making process uh, um, uh, situations and explain the ins and outs to the extent that my clients want me to and their families, and then tell them, here's what I think you should do, and then they give me instructions on how to proceed. This is absolutely crucial, not only in a very, very serious car accident claim, but in long-term disability claims, in slip and falls, in, in, in employment matters where other lawyers in our office are helping individuals. It's very important for lawyers to understand that these are people, right? This, these are people. Yes, the, 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 there, is, there is a business element to this, but the foundation of what we're doing is trying to help people, no different than a doctor. When you go to a doctor, you want a doctor that's going to explain things to you. You don't want a doctor that's going to start throwing medical speak at you and you have no idea what they're saying it looks like you're bothering them for just coming to the office for a minute that they're giving you. Mm. That's not the way we operate. uh, and, And that's not the way we've trained our lawyers and our staff. Everything has to come down to this relationship that we forge with our clients and their families, again, to help them through the process.
0: And like you said, like your doctor, anything they recommend or do, you have final say.
1: They absolutely. A lot of people
0: don't realize that. They just think they're going to come to you and you guys take everything and run away with it. No, no. You have the final say in all this, right? We
1: do. And in fact, oftentimes I, I refer to myself as sort of the GPS for the client right. to navigate them through this legal maze. And not just myself, my team as well. We have excellent people on the team, not just lawyers, we're paralegals, legal assistants, law clerks, students. You know, it's a whole team approach. But again, it's no different. It's analogous to, you know, a doctor's situation. If you have to have major surgery, You want the best of the best, but you don't just want them. You want the entire team to be the best of the best. From the nurses that is by the doctor to the receptionist to everyone else. You want to make sure you have everyone in your corner. Because, you know, if something doesn't fit, that's going to affect ultimately your case and your life. And you don't want that.
0: Good for another week, my friend. More information, there's lots out there. Simply contact Savan, a member of the team, James, or a member of the crew as well. The number is one 990 9646 Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You can always check out the injury calculator to find out exactly what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. It takes about, what, 20, 30 seconds to go through that. Completely anonymous, or there is a contact button at the bottom if you want further consultation. Till next time, this has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.